As we were praying earlier tonight, I was just reminded how precious and wonderful God's Word is. And I, I hope tonight as we wrap up our series looking at what it is to be people of hope, to people who are holy in our world, in our day, that we will welcome God by His Spirit to speak by His Word. Because I believe God is here, God is present, and God wants to speak. So would you pray with me as we welcome God by His Spirit, already present, to help us to hear what He has to say, not me. That we may then hear and respond and to live these fully surrendered lives that we've committed to just now. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for tonight that we are here together as your family, brothers and sisters. Lord, for your Son, our Savior, for your Word and your Spirit. Come, Lord, open our ears, our minds, our hearts, our lives, that we may hear you, respond to you, and be changed by you. Amen. Would you like to open your Bibles or, or your app, and we're going to look at the last couple of verses of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 12 to the end and it's Paul about AD 50 writing to this church again if you've not heard um, some of us say it a church probably about the size of us that's gathered here together that uh, has come together that is fully surrendered to Jesus and God's doing amazing things and this is Paul's final remarks to them page 1188 now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good and reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. For the one who called you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I had a first world problem during the week. I lost my sunglasses. And given that the sun is now shining and we're getting a little bit dazzled, I got a little bit annoyed. So what did I do? I went back home, and without telling my wife, I went online to buy a new pair of sunglasses. I'd shopped around, and I knew the pair I wanted, and I found the price, and I made sure my wife was out because she wouldn't approve of the amount of money I was proposing to spend. 
and I went online to order the sunglasses. And I, put, put, I had to put it into the um, shopping basket when, to my irritation, this came up. Next slide. What shape of face are you? <laughs> Underneath, are you sure these sunglasses will suit you? And then an image came up, which they had taken of my little round face, <laughs> superimposed with the sunglasses on. And clearly the algorithm thought that they did not suit me. And guess what? The algorithm suggested a pair that were even more expensive. <laughs> what shape are you? Clearly the shape of my sunglasses was just, if not more important, than the quality of the lenses, so I wouldn't be dazzled when I was driving. I should tell you, I didn't buy them. I'm now racked with guilt. Will they suit me or not? But what shape are we? Shape matters, doesn't it? Some of you, like me, will remember a book that sold, I'm told, by the hundreds of thousands based upon a TV series. What body shape are you? And we were encouraged to find out what shape that we are so we could decide what clothes suit us best. What body shape are you? Shape matters. Think about the time and attention we spend looking after how we look. And that's a good thing. What shape are you? Well, in preparing the sermon, I had a look in the mirror and I resumed couch to 5K. But I wonder, in all seriousness, what shape are you? What shape am I? What shape are we? Before the Lord Jesus, before each other. He knows and loves us as we are, perfectly and wonderfully made in his image. I'm not talking about our outward experience, our outward presentation. I'm talking about the shape of Christian believer that we are. Because in part, this is what this letter is all about. Paul is commending the shape of the church the way they live and conduct themselves. And as this letter is now drawing to a close, he's bringing in some final teaching to encourage them to ensure that they are the right shape of believer. And remember, they're living in tough times. AD 50, Roman domination, coastal seaport, metropolis, pagan gods everywhere, dog eat dog. Does that sound a little bit familiar? And yet these Christians are rejecting all of that the shape of the world to live a countercultural shape and a countercultural existence and the gospel of Jesus Christ and they're being transformed and through them the shape of other lives. The shape of Thessalonica, the shape of Macedonia and the shape of Europe and the world is going to be transformed. I wonder, before God, who loves you as you are, what shape are you? As I reflected on that during the week, I realized that for far too long in my early Christian life, I was a vertical Christian. I know that Jesus Christ loved me. 
He came to this earth, died in my place, so that my sins could be forgiven. That now I was now in that relationship with my beloved Father. I was full of the Holy Spirit. All was right in my life. My eternal destiny was secure. I was a vertical Christian, looking up to God, being dazzled by Him, astonished and amazed by His grace, seeking to grow in that relationship through the daily rhythm of my spiritual life, which I'm honest was a pretty haphazard. That's the vertical Christian. And there's another shape of Christian, which at its extreme is the very liberal Christian. And that's the horizontal Christian. That we want to love everyone as Jesus loves them. We want to bless them with our hearts, with our minds with our words, with our actions, to do all that we can selfishly. And that's a wonderful and a beautiful thing. So we have the vertical Christian at one extreme, and we have the horizontal Christian at the other extreme. A young man came up to Jesus. A man who was very successful in his career, in his community, a man of status and influence, and asked Jesus, Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He had everything, but yet he was still empty on the inside. He was the right shape for the world, but yet he was empty inside. Jesus looked at him with love and said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The shape that Jesus was asking this man to have was not the world shape, not to be a vertical Christian or a horizontal Christian, but to be a cross-shaped Christian. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength. That's the vertical. And the intersection, love your neighbor as yourself as Jesus loves his world. And right at the intersection is the place where we find ourselves fully in Christ. Do you notice in the reading? That phrase that Paul brings out time and time again. Our shape is not in the world, but in Christ. And when we're in Christ, our shape will be changed from the inside out. What shape? are we we're to be cross-shaped because that is where god wants us to be individually corporately as the church and this is what paul as he closes his letter is bringing out very powerfully why because god himself is community he's that mix of perfect love amongst the trinity and perfect love for the world through jesus christ and we find ourselves in that place through faith in jesus so community matters the church is to be cross-shaped and what then are the characteristics of a cross-shaped church well let's look at some of the characteristics that paul shares with us here Firstly, notice how he begins. It just skips over us so easily. Brothers and sisters, time and time again, he's addressed them with family language. 
a loving mother, a caring father, brothers and sisters. Cross-shaped Christians love each other. There is a family love. Right at the end of our passage, verse 26. Greet each other with the holy kiss. Oh, that's nice. We do that in polite society, don't we? The fashionistas do one, two, three, don't they? Greet each other with the holy kiss. This was truly radical in its time. You only kissed your immediate family. And not all of them, I should tell you. And you only kissed in public those people who you were equals in social status. And yet Paul is saying to this church, composed of people who come to faith from different cultures, who've renounced different religions, you are my brother and sister, and you are to greet each other with a holy kiss. Cross-shaped people are loving people of each other. It's about the we, not the me. The church in Thessalonica is flourishing because they have fully surrendered themselves as cross-shaped people. It's about the we for the kingdom. And Paul continues to develop this. What are the characteristics? Well, embarrassingly, it starts off by having a love and a respect for those men and women that God places in our communities to lead us. I'll say no more than that. But what's important there, he's saying that a cross-shaped community is one of love that is led. It's not a free-for-all. God is a God of order as well as unpredictability in the Holy Spirit. We're to see what the Spirit's doing, what the Bible teaches, and join in. Praise God for what's going on in Asbury there now. Because they are surrendered to Jesus and cross-shaped people. We are to follow the leadership that God provides in our churches. And then verses 14 and 15. Cross-shaped churches. A community of grace is a caring community. And there's a list now of specific things. Let's look at them together. There's a warning against those who are idle and disruptive. The context was, people had joined the church, affluent people had joined the church, who were fully surrendered, and some of the new believers, whether sincere or not, we don't know, were taking advantage of the generosity and grace of their Christian brothers and sisters. And Paul is saying, no. Yes, be generous and be loving, but we have a responsibility to work. Work is a God-given privilege and requirement, as Paul himself did. We are to encourage the, the disheartened. We are to help the weak. We are to be patient with everyone. It slips so easily. In our small groups, we could think through what that means. And no retaliation. Passive aggression is out. We are to be people of love. You are my brother, you are my sister. If there's a problem, talk it through in love. Do all that you can to reconcile. Why? For we are to strive to do what is good, not for me, but for you. 
for each other and everyone else. Cross-shaped people are surrender people, are serving people. So we are a caring community, Paul is saying. And we are a worshipping community. Look with me at verse 16. Rejoicing always. Really, Paul? Paul taught that. Paul wrote that. And we believe that Paul lived it. What's the difference, do you think, between joy and happiness? Just talk to your neighbour. 30 seconds. What's the difference between joy and happiness? Is there a difference? Have a chat. Happiness is transient. Happiness is an emotional state that comes and goes. Whereas joy is a permanent state. How can Christians be joyful? Because we have hope in Jesus Christ. Because our joy is in Jesus Christ who has defeated death is sovereign, is present, is active in us and through us and in his world. Paul was able to rejoice because, yes, he was living in a sinful, broken world, subject to all that the world could throw at him, but he knew that Jesus loved him, that he was secure with him, despite what the world could throw at him, that his condition was right before God today, tomorrow and forever. So joy is permanent if we have our faith in Jesus Christ. And for those of us who may understandably be facing challenges of one sort or another, I recognize and honor those challenges and the distress it causes. But friends, know this, as a cross-shaped disciple, your joy is secure in Jesus Christ. So come what may, we can live contentedly and well. This then should encourage us to pray constantly, making God part of the rhythm of our every day. Different ways that we can do that. You may be familiar with arrow prayers as you're out walking your dog, driving your car, noticing something, say, thank you God for that beautiful sunset. Thank you God for that lovely smoked salmon. You catch my drift? I'm not being trite. Little arrow prayers of thanksgiving. Lord be with Jeff. All those little prayers, keeping God part of the rhythm of our day. Matt's introduced her to some helpful postures, which I'd encourage you to use. Here's another simple way. It's called the Jesus prayer. It's as old as the church. It goes something like this. We breathe in. Would you like to breathe in? And as we do, we breathe in. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, breathe in God by His Spirit. And then breathe out and say, Have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. For I am a sinner. The Jesus Prayer. Try that in the rhythm of your day. Notice how that may affect your being and the rhythm of your days. Two simple ways along with that posture to help us to pray continually so that we can be connected to God as cross-shaped people. 
And then giving thanks. That's not saying in a trite way to please God. But when we're cross-shaped people, we're attentive to the Spirit. We're people of love and grace, and that prompt us to have an outlook, not of criticism, which is of the world, and of jealousy, and of contempt, but of thanksgiving. And it flows naturally. I encourage you, as I encourage myself, to grow in that grace. And as we do, the Spirit inhabits us more fully and freely. So we are less susceptible to those temptations that come in different forms. We live in a spiritual reality. We all have Achilles heels. Satan will find them. If you know what yours is, that's where Satan's going to have a pop, if nowhere else. And so when it comes, just renounce him in the name of Jesus Christ. And because you're a cross-shaped believer who's growing in spiritual maturity, he will flee from you. So the church in Thessalonica was a cross-shaped church, a church of love, a church of welcome, a church that was led, a church that cared. It was a church that was growing because it worshipped, because it was a holy community. It was living out what it was to be a follower of Jesus, an apprentice, every day in every way. And it wasn't easy we know that. Paul is writing to encourage them and address some of the problems. False teaching was coming in. We see that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, one of the reasons he wrote this letter. But as they became increasingly cross-shaped and grew in spiritual maturity, they grew in love and grace and God moved. And they were changed. The theological word is sanctified. God was working in them and through them, becoming more Christ-like. And that's what God's doing as we surrender ourselves to be willingly cross-shaped disciples, full of the Spirit. And notice this. Paul closes with a prayer. And in that prayer, he makes very clear that it is through not our endeavors, our hard work, our disciplines, but by the grace of God, the church in Thessalonica, the church in Ashdod, is a church that is dependent on the grace of God so we can live and breathe as cross-shaped people. So our series has come to an end. I hope that you may have found it to be helpful. It helps us to, to lead lives that are holy, What's a holy life? A cross-shaped life, individually and corporately. And it's not by retreating from the world, it's by being in the world. And those spiritual practices and disciplines help us to grow so that we can give holy lives, lives of hope, which are not just hopeful for us, but hopeful for our hurting world. So I want to thank you for being part of the community that we are and encourage us as we continue to grow and mature as cross-shaped people. Amen. I'm going to ask the band to come up. Thanks, Gary and friends. And just, I just want to wait on God by his spirit. I feel he's inviting us to respond. And I just want to wait on God with you 
and just seek that direction uh, before the band leaders. Let's do that. Just have a sense from the Spirit that he may be identifying something in you which is not cross-shaped, a picture of a plaster covering over something so that others can't see but you can see it and it's there and perhaps it's deeper uh, and needs more attention. And there's something in your way of being that the Spirit is wanting to address and to bring healing. And I just offer that to you. And if that's you, just to ask the Spirit to confirm that. Maybe you want to pray with a member of the prayer team or someone around about you. Just invite you to respond because God wants to heal you so that you can live more fully as cross-shaped people. And encouragingly, I also sense that God is wanting to, agree, to release a greater sense of joy within us that we are a people of freedom and abandonment in the Spirit. Uh, Lord, if that's you, come and meet with me. Come and meet with us. Come Holy Spirit, have your way with us tonight as we worship you in spirit and truth. Come Holy Spirit, fill us afresh with your joy. Do your work of healing that we may live more fully and freely as cross-shaped people through whom your world is changed. Amen.